welcome to the Shushbox Podcast, a safe space for self-expression, healing, and empowerment. Hosted by me, Sunita, founder of Shushbox, the wellness platform supporting survivors of sexual trauma. Hi, everybody, and welcome back for the second season of the Shushbox Podcast. I'm super happy and excited to be here again, connecting with other survivors, talking about survivorship and everything that entails. So for those of you checking in, listening again, listening for the first time, hello! (laughs) Very grateful and honoured to have you here with us today. To kick things off for our very first episode in the second season, we're joined by an American artist and actress, mother, wife incredibly talented woman and survivor who has come publicly forward with her survivor story. Her name is Melissa Schumann and today's episode is Survivors in the Spotlight. I hope you enjoy it and if you have any questions you know where to find us. So welcome Melissa to the Shushbox podcast. Um, I thought we could kick things off with you maybe giving yourself an introduction and then we could go into the topic of conversation which is going to be talking about survivors in the spotlight. Sounds good. Hi guys, I'm Melissa Schumann. Um, Most people know me best from a girl group called Dream from the early 2000s. I'm also an actress. I was in a movie called Love Don't Cost a Thing. And I've done other projects as well. But that's, I guess, the most, the the project that I'd be most known for. Um, And I'm also a a mother. I'm a wife. um, And I'm a survivor of sexual assault. So I'm happy to be here amongst community. And, uh, you know, it's an honor to aid to very important conversation in the survivor community. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining. It's an honor to have you here with us. So I thought we could just kind of get straight into it, to be honest. So the topic of conversation is going to be talking about survivors in the spotlight and anybody who's listening, kind of offering any advice that we can from our own experiences that might be beneficial for those who are listening. And I, I know we were talking about this last time, uh, about the healing journey. So maybe we could talk a little bit about the healing journey. Um, what would you say for you personally has been the easiest and one of the most difficult things, I guess, about the healing journey? Uh, for me, the the most difficult part of the healing journey, hindsight being 2020, was accepting what happened to me was sexual assault, that I had been raped. Um, I found that it was easier for me to blame myself or take responsibility for what happened than to admit to myself that I was a victim. It's uh, It was just, it was hard for me to fully, fully accept that what I was told by my therapist and by my step, my, my, uh, my roommate's um, mother-in-law, I'm so sorry, my, my roommate's mom, sorry, my brain is all over the place right now, um, was you know th- that I was in fact raped. So I would say that was one of the most difficult. I would say second to that would be finally speaking up publicly. The easiest thing, I guess, for me was, uh, and I know that this isn't typical, but for me, it was telling my my friends and my family. I think it was because I was so scared um, and I felt so lost and helpless. And I also felt like I needed, I think I was questioning my own experience because I was still struggling with the, you know, whether or not I could trust what um, 
trust those around me who were telling me I needed to go to the police. So, um, and then I guess another easy thing, um, I mean, we all know it's not easy to be a survivor, (laughs) you know, I would say an easier thing would be the advocacy portion in regards to speaking to other survivors now. That is easy. It's easy to connect with other survivors and I'm grateful for that. It's It's been a lifeline for me. So yeah, so those would be the easiest and the hardest mm. for me. I mean, I don't know if easiest was the right word. Now I'm looking at the question, I'm like, <laughs> why did I write that? <laughs> what was easy? <laughs> None of this is easy. <laughs> no, but yes, but when you're looking at sort of the yin and the yang of it, you know, there is some the, the lesser difficult portion versus mm-hmm. the hardest part of it, so... Yeah. And I guess with your experience, like you were saying that acknowledging or understanding that what you had experienced was in fact, uh, sexual assault is a difficult one for people. So I don't know if you want to go a little bit into your story or how comfortable you would feel for anyone who might've had a similar type of situation. I'm an open book. I mean, I, when I first spoke out publicly, I, I basically wrote it in a detailed blog And initially when I wrote it, it was just for myself. Um, I was triggered with a lot of PTSD and um, I just felt like I needed to write it out for myself. It was the first time I had ever done it, Um, like actually written it out and then reading it myself as like a grown woman. I was 18 when I was assaulted. Um, I was a virgin at the time and um, I didn't have a whole lot of uh, experience, you know, to kind of compare that experience with, and it was very confusing for me. So, you know, I certainly have no problem, um, you know, being, uh, open, you know, discussing it. I think that it's been important for me. Um, and I hope that it's, it's helpful to, to others, you know, without, um, so I'm gonna stick to the headlines cause I don't want to like trigger anybody. Um, but essentially what happened was I was working on a job and um, basically, my abuser invited me to hang out with him at his apartment when on an off day. And I went there with my with a with a girlfriend, my roommate. And it was there at the apartment that essentially things went from zero to a hundred very quickly. He made me a drink right off the bat. Um, I was somebody who did not party; like that was not me. I was kind of your standard good girl Christian Christian girl, you know. And uh, I had a lot of those sort of embedded Christian ideals, I guess, that I was kind of brought up in. Um, so the whole experience really caught me super off guard. I, you know, never no, And I don't know about you, but nobody ever warned me about being raped. I, you know, I was never, I didn't know that it was common, you know? So I, I certainly, I, I just didn't think that I was at risk for something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also happened in a way that, you know, I had never seen in movies, you know, um, rape scenes and that sort of thing. So, uh, sorry, it was not easy for me to identify when it was even happening. My brain was like on fire. I couldn't understand. I didn't understand what was happening. It was happening so quickly and I was out of control and, you know, and whatnot. So, but essentially, um, my abuser invited me to, um, basically listen to some music that he was working on which for me, after my healing and, and doing the therapy and doing all the work, I've, I've realized that, um, you know, for me, he, that, that particular thing that he kind of hooked in to for me was that I was actually, him and I were in a very similar space in regards to our careers. He had left his group. I'd left my group. We were both working on this, this project together. 
Um, and so we were kind of in similar places and he really, um, he related to me and it made me feel like, oh, you know, you know, we might have something in common. And, um, and so my guard was down. I certainly did not think anything else. So, uh, when he basically brought me into his office to listen to his music, uh, things got super weird really quickly. He turned down the light. He asked me to sit on his lap. He pulled me in close to him, started kissing me. I was taken aback by all of it. Um, I was also considered myself to be somewhat of a prude. And that was not something that I have ever done before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the only other person I had kissed up until that point was my, my first love and my ex-boyfriend. So it was very weird. And, uh, and then essentially it just got weirder and weirder. And he looked at, he looked at me essentially and like, like he wanted to show me something and he dragged me into the bathroom adjacent and then uh, started to unbutton my pants. He wouldn't listen to me when I told him I didn't want to go any further. And it just got worse and worse and worse from there. Um, so without going into like all the specific mm-hmm. details out of respect for everyone listening, but it was uh, incredibly scary, very confusing and completely out of body. And I, yeah, it was just a very, very confusing. Looking back on it, I was very confused. <laughs> Yeah, of course. I mean, thank you so much for sharing. And I think it is important to highlight often in these cases, it's not a stranger. It isn't actually a stranger. So there's many survivors who might have had an experience and like you've just explained there, might not be able to affirm themselves as a survivor because what we see sometimes, you know, on the movies, on the media or online is, you know, it's a stranger. That's, that's, doing the assault um and often more times than not it's actually somebody that the victim knows it could be like you said uh a co-worker a friend a so-called friend a family member even so I think it's important to highlight that it's not always somebody that we don't know exactly yeah and um it's so true and again like I wasn't I didn't know any of that (laughs) um so yeah very important point so thank you so much for sharing. And I mean, that's a lot as well at um, a young age. And, you know, this is it. I think having more conversations around this from a younger age is actually really important so that people can spot these types of behaviors or it, it's difficult. It is difficult because you can't, even if you knew, was aware, it's not on the, the victim to kind of spot that behavior. <laughs> it's, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a lot of enablers of these types of um, perpetrators, um, people not doing anything about it, completely aware of the abuses and normalizing it or minimizing it. Um, I know, you know, I've had many conversations with many different survivors of the same abuser and obviously of other abusers. Um, and I find that, you know, you know, there's, there's quite a few that I speak with that are still grappling with essentially what, what it is that they experienced, you know, decades later, not knowing how to categorize it um, because it was not uh, within the context of what they know to be what sexual assault or rape um, mm-hmm. because it doesn't fall within those stereotypical guidelines of, you know, it being by a stranger, it being incredibly violent, um, mm-hmm. You know, did they use a weapon? Uh, you know, that sort of stuff, which which I feel like is what we've we have seen in television and movies. 
But um, from from my own experience and from speaking to many survivors across the spectrum, that's not doesn't seem to be the case in regards to like being the most common. Like you said, it usually is somebody that you trust, somebody that you knew. You know, sexual predators are a lot more calculated, unfortunately, than I think. You know, even I wanted to admit to myself that my abuser calculated that, that he knew exactly what he was doing, um, that he saw me as the perfect victim um, for what it is that he had planned. Yeah, there's a lot of manipulation that goes into it, actually. It's not just uh, something that sporadically, I think, happens. I think, yeah, like you say, often at times it's calculated and vindictive in the way of like mapping out what they're going to do, I guess. Yes. And that was, I I remember coming to that realization. um, Actually, I think it was a year or two after I'd come forward publicly. I um, participated in a survivor group at my, at my church, um, which was a very, um, it was a breakthrough experience for me because of, because of the open conversation that we are, we were all having, uh, talking about things in great detail and then being surrounded by other survivors that even at that moment were like, you know, Melissa, he knew what he was doing. And that was also Mm -hmm. something that I hadn't, even when I had written my blog, I'd never considered that this individual was that calculated and knew what he was doing. I wanted to believe that he didn't know what he was doing, you know, Mm -hmm. because I feel like for me, it would hurt less, you know, I don't know. I guess everyone's a little bit different, but. No, I can totally see what you mean. Like it's, even though there's no excuse for it, you know, in any situation, but I think I can see where you're coming from. And yeah, if say it was something where in a different way where they hadn't been mapping it out or thinking, you know, just that pre-planning of it all makes it all on another level, I feel of like, wow, he conned me or they conned me into yeah, it, getting into this situation. Yeah. So I know obviously coming forward as well with your story. So survivors, it's a, it's an uncomfortable conversation in general, still talking oh, about yes. sexual trauma or sexual violence. And I feel for your experience, obviously, you did decide to come forward publicly. Uh, what made you um, choose to, to share your story? Um, well, it was at the height of the Me Too movement. I was getting severely trigger, triggered by like the daily sort of uh, news headlines of, you know, another abuser being sort of outed. And I found myself with a lot of like physical, like physical, uh, strange symptoms that I hadn't experienced prior. Like, um, I would pick up something and I would notice that like, I would shake, like, I'm like, I would not that severely, but I would tremble. Um, and I actually like thought to myself, like, do I have like a brain tumor or is like, do I need to go get my head checked? And then, you know, I noticed like o- ocular migraines, um, just like physical stuff that I couldn't, ignore like I could I I did a really good job at ignoring the emotional and stuffing that down but then when the physical stuff started happening that really started to freak me out and then I started to have essentially not meltdowns but like I would get triggered and then I would just start crying and then my poor husband you know venting to my husband and and just kind of crying fits and um it just got to a point where it was happening so frequently that even my husband was like, you can't live like this anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. this isn't good for you. Like, this isn't healthy for you. Like, you're not meant to 
to, to carry this. Like, and so essentially he was just like, if, you know, if you want to publish your blog, cause it, you know, essentially initially that wasn't the purpose of it. You know, he's like, you know, I, I, I'm here with you. I'll, I'm going to walk through this with you. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was because of, because of that, because of my husband giving me that reassurance that I wasn't alone mm-hmm. for whatever was going to follow that I agreed to it. Um, I did, I could not publish. I could not press that publish button. It, it was, oh, so I, I, I allowed my husband. I like, so he pressed the publish button and we went to bed and then, you know, that sort of the journey after that was a, you know, a whole nother chapter that I could have never anticipated that that's what basically prompted me to speak publicly. Mm. And had you already shared, um, kind of your story, like you were saying with your friends and family before that, did they, were they aware of it? Oh, everybody. Like I, I, cause I was so scared. I mean, I was so devastated and I, I didn't know what to do and I was overwhelmed. And so I, you know, I, I told my, my roommate, um, and I, and I just want to say, I want to just sort of disclose this because this is something that not that it matters because this is a podcast, obviously for survivors, but you know, we all know what it's like to not be believed and not be supported. Or I, you know, I only know from like a sort of a public perspective when I told my friends and family privately, I never had anyone tell me I was a liar. Mm-hmm. I always felt that I was supported and believed, but my experience as like a public sort of survivor has mm-hmm. been completely different. It's like been inc- they, people have been incredibly harsh with me, um, demanded details that they don't even deserve to know. But when I had written my blog, I had kept this sort of like window when I told people very vague, because when I wrote the blog, I only wrote what I could remember. So as far as the, when I told people, it was a very, I, I, I kept it open-ended because I couldn't at that moment remember or recall exactly who I told and when, because that also wasn't really the point of writing it. Wasn't writing it like as, you know, a court document, you know, that I had to go through all, you know, the exact timelines and the dates and all this. That was, it was for me. No, it's more like cathartic, isn't it? Getting it out and onto paper. Or onto onto the screen, whatever that release kind of feeling. Exactly. And that's what it was for for me. It was cathartic. It was for me. It wasn't like, oh, someone's going to want to know and demand exactly when I told the first person. I was not where my mind was at. But so anyways, in the blog, people pointed out that I've changed my story. I have not changed my story. There's just things that I now recall after writing the blog that I didn't at the initial cathartic sort of, you know, writing of it. so I actually told my, my roommate the next day, she took me to her mother that, that same day, the next day. Um, so she knew, I think the third person I might have told was an actress actually who was in Love Don't Cost a Thing with me. She played opposite. We very good friends. Um, I told her and then she was like, you need to tell your manager. So I told my manager, I eventually told my dad and my mom and I, and I can't remember exactly, you know, anybody else. I, I know that I told other friends and whatnot. So I told a lot of people, I told my therapist, mm-hmm. um, but I just wasn't ready to go to the police. And um, so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of people knew about what happened. Um, and I, I also found that even though a lot of people knew 
most didn't know how to handle it themselves, didn't know how to really respond. I mean, I do feel like I was at least respected in the sense that I wasn't ready to go to the police quite yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But then there was a point where I thought that I I was, and then I was discouraged to doing it. So it was just a very confusing, complicated, complex time in my life. Um, So yeah, I told a lot of people. I mean, absolutely. It's not one straight way for any survivor and it's completely up to the survivors. Um, Even if you don't disclose to anybody, it doesn't make it invalid. You know, there's people who come forward to friends and family and who might not be believed. So I think it's good that you did have that support network within your friends and family to maybe, like you said, press that publish button so we wouldn't have even heard the story. So, yeah, so I think um, it is a really beautiful thing that there are people out there that can listen and hold space for survivors and affirm what has happened. But sadly, the case is there's also, like you were saying, especially in the media, I mean, come on, like there's people out there who are going to be tearing, tearing survivors down basically, um, even more so. So it's a very difficult thing, I think, coming forward on that not that I'm speaking from experience, but I imagine it'd be, it's even more of a, a challenge even in that sense. But I guess what was driving you was, um, like you said, sharing your story and supporting other survivors because, you know, listening to you and being a survivor myself and working within this space, I think having people in the media has helped a lot of people come forward or like the whole Me Too movement, of course, that did have a lot of survivors or people who might have had such an experience to self-reflect maybe and think I've had something like this happen to me um and you know at any time you can come forward anytime you can um even if it's something that's maybe happened to you in childhood and you come forward later in life it's like you were saying um trauma lives within the body doesn't it it gets stored in the body so you having those shaky moments um later on in life it has a knock-on effect it's not just something that just you know you come forward you share your story and then it ends it's a continuous journey of healing and trigger re-triggering and healing again and then triggering so what would you say I guess talking more about um maybe coping techniques and he on the healing side of the journey have you um connected with anything in particular that's helped you um in those moments, I guess, when things do get a bit sticky. Yeah. Um, yoga was like a big, big, big uh, healing modality for me. Still is. Uh, meditation has really been helpful. Journaling, reading books about it, um, you know, from, from memoirs, that sort of thing. Or um, there's a book called Healing the Wounded Heart that I participated in reading alongside with my church group that I found to be incredibly um tender in this and how it's written it's just so much compassion um and empathy for survivors and and it allowed me to to really continue to process things um you know i, I want to share something that my therapist actually said to me once i came forward i actually went back to the the same therapist that i went to initially um cuz i didn't have to explain to her mm-hmm. you know she knew and I was really scared because um, I was approached to go on the Dr. Oz show, which I never thought that I would ever. And again, when I wrote the blog, I had no like game plan or anything. It was just, I wrote the blog for me. I released it. That was it. <laughs> like that was it. Mm. Um, and then eventually, you know, Dr. Oz 
they asked me to, to, to speak on the show. And I was really, 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 really terrified. Um, there are things, words I didn't want to say that I felt so still so much shame. And I'm like, how am I going to say that on national television? And, you know, granted, this was very soon after what happened to me became very public. Um, but I just remember telling my therapist, I'm like, this hurts like so much more than I have not, not that it didn't hurt when it happened because it, but it was just far more excruciating the, the public aspect of it than I had ever anticipated. And she explained to me, she goes, Melissa, you know, imagine you broke your leg and you walked around on your leg for 15 years, right? You didn't go to the hospital. You didn't get surgery on it and it healed, right? You were able to walk on it for 15 years. Um, you do normal things, I suppose, and whatnot, but you know, you broke your leg and you didn't go and get surgery on it. And now you are, you know, 14 years later, you're starting to feel like your hips are off or your shoulders hurting now. And there's all these sort of chain reactions because you didn't deal with the broken leg. And so you decided to go into surgery and she's like, you speaking out publicly, you just went through surgery. Hmm. And imagine if you had broken your leg and come out, it's going to hurt a lot and it's going to take time to heal. It's going to take a lot of physical therapy. It's, you know, it may not heal all the way and be like it was before being broken because you broke your leg, but you did the right thing by, you know, taking care of yourself and doing what was right for you. And, and, and it's going to be a likely a slow healing process. And so I just wanted to sort of share that story for any survivors that may be feeling the same way. Like, you know, I've, I've decided to tell my friends and family, or, you know, maybe you're thinking about speaking publicly um, about what has happened to you. And, you know, oftentimes it can hurt severely. And I just want survivors throughout the world to know that, that's normal. That's okay. And, um, and just because it hurts really bad doesn't mean that it's the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I feel like when we feel pain, you know, obviously none of us want to feel pain. We resist pain, mm. but you know, I don't know. So just wanted to share that little. No, that's really, <laughs> that's a really good one to point out. And yeah, it does hurt. It can hurt before it gets better. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember my first therapy session, um, Mm-hmm. Just like being so like cross-armed. It took weeks yes. and weeks and weeks to like break down the layers of, you know, getting to that more like vulnerable place of, yes. you know, feeling the pain, sitting with your feelings, right? I think so many oh. of us might try and escape the feelings or the emotions or the painfulness or that fear of judgment, the fear of... I was going to ask, actually, uh, you touched on it earlier. Do you think, because um, obviously shame is a big part of huge. this whole huge... Uh, <laughs> healing journey do you feel like when you came forward publicly it it lifted some of the shame or did you have any shame left still at that stage um when I initially published it and at that point the media hadn't picked up on it and it was just normal people you know just like that had found the blog or shared the blog um I found I found that the majority of people were quite kind I felt a lot of compassion and love. And so that helped lift the shame and the burden initially. Um, It made me feel 
cared for. It made me feel like, like I didn't deserve what happened to me. And there was a sense of release mm-hmm. and freedom of sort of the bondage of not being able to be honest with everybody. So yes, initially, I initially, yes, it was, uh, it helped. It did help with the shame, not mm-hmm. obviously not with all of it. That would, that would come with a lot of work after, um, especially under the scrutiny. Hmm. And that's not the- to say when I said that as well, I was thinking, yeah. yeah, it's not to be like, you shouldn't be feeling the shame. It's just that I know sure. that a lot of survivors do carry that shame. There oh, is no shame sure. for us to be feeling, but of course, how society yeah. sees survivors, sexual trauma, even talking about anything se- of that sexual nature. That's why there are so many layers of shame. For- so I just wanted to point that out. I wasn't yeah. <laughs> be like, you have shame. You should have that shame. You completely relate. Yes, there is. We do. We, we can carry that we carry the shame of it you know um for me it was uh two I was tired this is something that gets brought up by those who don't want to believe me or just don't flat out don't believe me and so they'll you know bring up anything that they can find on the internet I mean there was there was ways that I that I had coped and dealt with it um that for people who don't understand um survivors of sexual trauma I mean they're not going to understand that you know, for me, there's a, there's a live stream somewhere out there where my abuser's name was brought up and, you know, I act, I acted nonchalant and, oh, poor guy. And this, that, and the third, mm-hmm. and they've used that against me. Like, oh, who would speak of, about their abuser like this? Uh, somebody who's not willing to talk about their abuser yet. Somebody who's covering it up. Somebody who doesn't want you to know. Well, I wasn't ready yeah. for people to know. What did you want me to do? Did you want me to curse him out? Or do you want me to go, like, oh, that guy's a rapist. He raped me. Like, that's, mm-hmm. not, that's not, that's not fair. It's um, not fair. No, it's a coping it, technique. This is it. It's like, even with depression, you know, yes. people with depression, like for my own experience, when I was feeling the most pain, no one would have ever felt known it because I went out into the world with a smiling face and, you know, happy, bubbly, life and soul of the party. It wasn't until I'd be going home at night, you know, putting my head down to sleep. That's when the real pain sat with me when I was alone. So I can totally see how, you know, if you've got a camera in front of you, of course, like you're going to be, it's a coping technique. You don't need to, um, you're trying to hold it together as well, I imagine. Um, yeah, it's a mask that we put on as a yeah. way of protecting ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. We put on that mask. If it's a happiness mask and we're, you know, depressed, we put on that happiness mask, you know? Um, and yeah, that is what I did. I did, and this is a thing for all survivors. We do whatever we can. Our brain is really good at protecting, you know, protecting us, right? So mm-hmm. we do whatever we can to protect ourselves, and yeah, so and we shouldn't feel shame for the ways that we have coped. Something that I've learned is that, you know, there's ways that I had coped for a very long time that were, that were good coping skills. They're just not long-term. They're not yeah. sustainable. They're, They're not meant sustainable. to be, right. Yeah, I'm totally with you with that, on that one. I had a lot of coping techniques that now I'm like... I had shame around even having those coping techniques, but now I like, right. yeah, just have a bit more compassion with it and be like, okay, that was helping me at that time. And now I've learned new techniques that are going to help me at this time when I'm in a different place. So it changes over time as well. I think some of the coping techniques and you know, then you find it's, it's, I guess it's when you're at that point to get 
real with yourself. Because <laughs> at the right. end of the day, we know, it's like, you know it internally. It's when you're yeah. ready to have that conversation with yourself. Right. Sometimes, which is yeah. the hardest. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've covered a lot there. Um, I know in the end, you obviously did come forward with your story. And I was actually on a call um, earlier and we were talking about justice. And what does justice getting justice um, isn't the same for every survivor. What would justice look like for you? Having my name cleared. um, I have been painted as a liar um, in my own industry amongst colleagues in my own industry. And I didn't lie about this. This is what happened to me. So yeah, I I want, I, and I, and maybe I'll never get that, but I, I want to be proven to not be a liar. I didn't lie about this. And you know, and in, in regards to like justice, it's so hard for me in regards to like what should happen to him. Um, again, like I'm, I still consider myself to be a Christian and judgment is not for me and God will deal with, with him mm. as he sees fit. I do believe that he will answer for it. I was One just about way to ask another. you then, I was like going to ask, do you believe in karma? Um, Yes, I, I believe. I, no, I, I don't believe in karma per se, but yes, I do. Like what goes around comes around. And I do believe that a uh, cause and effect and that, you know, I do, I do, I do believe in the, the idea of karma, but from, I guess, a Christian perspective, um, I, I do believe it's sort of, um, I believe that God cares about what happens to us. And as a result, uh, there will be consequences one way or another. Well, I mean, yeah, I think we thank you so much for being so open and vulnerable and sharing your story. I think it's going to help a lot of people listening. Um, to wrap things up, what would be your one piece of advice or statement or anything that you want to say to our listeners? Oh, boy. Um, well, I guess to the survivor community is, um, you know, be, gent- be gentle with yourself. Um, I also would like to extend that if anybody would like to reach out to me directly, you know, for any reason, if you want to share your story or if you have a question for me, please send me an email or send me a DM. Like I'm here to support you. But like, I guess in regards to just survivors, like just keep, keep, keep strong. It's tough. You know, the, the, the daily can be tough and, um, I don't know. There's, there's so many things I want to say, but I just want to encourage everybody listening, I suppose. It's just hang in there. Um, things are changing in the criminal justice system. It may be slowly but surely, but uh, just to not lose hope and know that we do have allies out there, people who believe us and support us. And, and you know, if you ever have moments where you feel alone, um, reach out to your survivor community, you know, um, and, uh, there's so many more resources out there for us from like a, a community standpoint now, I think more than ever. Um, and you know, your podcast being a fantastic resource for conversation. So to, 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 to remind one another that we're not alone, that we're not crazy, that we are val- validated, you know? I think that what we're starting to see is survivor culture. I do think it's starting to not obviously hasn't turned rape culture completely on its head yet, but that's why this work is so important is that we're able to take control of the narrative and what is true and correct what rape culture has, 
you know, essentially, um, you know, done for so long in regards to, you know, being a voice for us when rape culture doesn't represent us. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, as far as like the narrative, it really uh, backs the perpetrators, but survivor culture, like when we are taking back our own voice, right. We're, we're not just doing it for the, the impact that it has isn't just for ourselves. It has such a greater impact on the whole. It, it is um, another survivor's story, taking back the survivor story to create survivor culture. I'm hopeful that we'll get to the day where it's like rape culture is like one of those things where hopefully like our future generations will be like, oh God, rape culture. Like that's such an old way of thinking. This is far more informed. Yeah. Anyway. Let's end it with survivor culture. Yeah, survivor <laughs> culture. So seriously, that's the stuff that like we're a part of, right? It's yeah. survivor culture. You just so. coined the term there now, here. <laughs> you hear it, hashtag it. survivor culture. So. Thanks for listening. For more information, head to www.shushbox.com. We see you, we hear you, we believe you.